0: things we do, very often that goes like this. Uh, first, we do something because it is what we are raised doing. It's what we do. And sometimes we don't realize if it's different from what other people do. For instance, you grew up in a home that did meals the way your family did meals. And it never occurred to you that other people did meals some other way. And then you go to somebody else's house and you find out how they do meals differently and you go, well, that's wrong. Why are they doing it that way? Okay, sometimes we do, it that, do that. Sometimes we, we do something simply because we're raised to do it. And then, the, and then we go to the step where we start questioning what we do. Is this the right way to do it? Are we doing it the best way? We start looking at how our friends are doing and go, you know, maybe that does make more sense. I think I like the way they do it. Or maybe I don't like doing it at all. And then the third step is where we come to the conclusion that that thing we were raised doing was right after all. <laughs> and we go back to the thing we were raised with. And this could apply to a lot of things. It could gather from the way you get, apply to anything from where, how you gather at the table for meals to how you do politics and have your political positions, to where you go for vacation, right? All those things can fall under this category, and one more thing, let me add to that, going to church, right? Going to church. Uh, A lot of people, I was raised going to church, Now it was a Catholic church, and we didn't hear much about Jesus, and I don't know if I understood why I even went. It was just what we did, Uh, and uh, the funny thing is, is when Mom went when we were little. Dad never went. He would go and drop us off. Mom went when we were little, but I'm, I'm one of—is uh, my mic sagging? <laughs> oh, you pointed. What? Oh, oh, you're agreeing. Oh, I, you're pointing to something over here. Like, <laughs> Joan always worries I'm going to fall off. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, and I remember when mom and dad stopped going and they stopped bringing us it was a mile and a half to church And I know this is one of those uphill in the snow both ways stories But my brother and I who neither one of us was a good kid But we used to walk to church on our own and it's like why did you do that? What's well, just what we do it's the way we were all we've always done it And so what's, it's what we do and and, and then the you know so eventually something happened and I became a teenager and guess what I stopped doing (laughs) you know it's like a lot of things changed the first thing I did was stop going to church and and, uh... Years, and, of course, it's a different church now, but, but years went by, and I started recognizing this is a good thing after all. This is a valuable thing. It's something we, we should do. Uh, and I know today uh, I'm preaching to the choir because you know, when you talk about going to church to people who are at church, <laughs> there's, that's a little bit, uh, you know, um, pointless, maybe. Uh, but uh, today we're going to look at what is the church, we're going to look at why we do the things we do at a church and why bother going to church at all. Okay, Because all those are, I think, valid questions. So first of all, what is the church? And I kind of alluded to this before. The church is not the building. The church is not the building. And we say, I'm going to church, and we know we're going to this building. And, and, and as a result, it kind of comes to our mind to be a building. And we'll drive by and we'll say, oh, that's a nice church or that church looks good, and we, we have this way of thinking that makes the building the church, and it's hard to avoid, but, but there's a lot of proof, if you, want, if you need it, that the word uh, that church is not the, the, the building, and the first is the, simply the Greek word for church. It, it, for, for in English, modern English, the word church can mean either the building or uh, more than the building, but in the Greek it couldn't in the Greek that it meant the word was simply congregation. It's Ekklesia Ek is a prefix it means out Klesia is a word that means called and so the out called the congregation those called out of the world and 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 we find that word uh, sometimes translated congregation right and, and which is people not a building and it's the word we find in the introduction to so many of the New Testament letters uh, to the church of God that is in Corinth the word is Ekklesia to the church of God that is in Corinth 2 Corinthians, <laughs> right? So we have that one twice. To the churches of Galatia. Uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians don't say to the churches of. You know what it says instead? To the saints in. Same introduction. Slightly different word. We can use different words that mean the same thing. He's not changing his message. He's not writing to, to a building in three and to saints in three. He's writing to the same group of people, the saints of that place. First and second Thessalonians, he's back to the word church. And each of these is addressed to the ecclesia, aside from the ones that are are addressed to the saints, the congregation of that city. And somehow in our modern English, we've taken this word and turned it into a building. And I I think one reason for that is it's really convenient. It's easy to dismiss a building, right? I don't feel a need to go to that building today, right? You know, it's just a building. You know, who, I don't need to go to that building, uh, and it's easier to dismiss. Uh, and uh, it's not that. It's it's easy to re- uh, reject the building. I'm not going to church today. It's not, and we don't think I'm not going to the people of God. I'm not going to uh, meet with Jesus. I'm simply not going to that place, and, and we can excuse ourselves not doing it. But it's it's also. Um, Uh, It's not a building, it's also not an organization. Because we often can think of the church as an organization. And and the word doesn't mean organization, it means the people. Because churches are organizations, there's there's no no way to avoid that. I am one of the leaders of the church. The elders are the other leaders of the church. We have deacons. We have uh, not deacons. Deaconesses, trustees, uh, Sunday school superintendent, soon to be children's ministry coordinator. (laughs) Uh, We have we have all these people that make up the organization of the church, and we can say, well, I don't like the 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 those people who, you know, within the church, we have those people who are you might call the pillars of the church, and we, we don't like them, or we have a fault with them, and we can use it that way to refer to the people who are the organization of the church. But while they are structural in the church, they're part of it, they are not the church, they merely have roles in the church. The church is, what is it? It is the body and bride of Christ. Let's get in the Bible a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 to 17. Chapter 10, verses 16 to 17. Did I say chapters? I have been known to say things badly. Yeah. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17. Speaking about uh, communion, this is where we were, was that just last week? Two weeks ago. Uh, I speak as to sensible people, judge for Yourselves, what I say, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the same bread, and the church is the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 13. Just two pages to the right, uh, depending on the size of the print in your Bible and the size of the pages. 1 uh, Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. And we are one body. The church is one body in Christ. We are the body of Christ. And then I want to add to that Colossians. There's a lot of places we could go. I'm going to Colossians for a very specific reason. is that It's not talking as much of the, about the body as about the head of the body. Colossians 1, verses 15 through the first part of 18, describing Jesus Christ. Colossians is one of those passages that, that, uh, you know, there are certain passages that are the best Christmas preaching that have nothing to do with with the the nativity scene. (laughs) Colossians is one of those because it talks to us about who Jesus Christ is. He is... So we are a body, he is the head of the body. We are to do his will. That is our purpose, that is our function, that is our identity. That's what the church is. The church is the body of Christ here to do the will of Christ. And then there's more because one metaphor is not enough to describe everything about this. You know, metaphors are really handy to accomplish a purpose. You know, it's it's like saying the sky or the sun was an pumpkin, it, it was a pumpkin, the sun in the sky, you know, what are you saying, well it was orange, but that doesn't tell you everything about the sun, right, saying the church is the body of Christ is not enough to completely describe the church, so we're going to go to the bride of Christ, 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, right, and these are, these are kind of proof texts, which is not necessarily bad to do, you want to be careful with proof texts, because you can use them badly, taking a verse out of context, But Paul says uh, in chapter 11, verse 2, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts are being led astray from a sincere, pure devotion to Christ. What's he saying? He says, I betrothed you to Christ, but you guys are turning to follow other teachings. Right? He, is, he is concerned about the church in Corinth because they are turning from the teachings he gave them, which were true and right, to follow misguided teachings, false things, errors, things like that. He says, I betrothed you as, as a bride to, to Christ. Revelation chapter 19. This one might have been where you thought first of, and it's, it is maybe the best, but I wanted to, to save it just a little bit. Revelation 19, verses 6 and 7. Okay. Okay. And we have the marriage supper of the bride. The church is the bride of Christ, meaning the church is united to Christ and will be united to Christ for all of eternity. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. It it speaks of our being united to him. It speaks of his love for us and what should be our love for him. And the church is the body made up of the people of Christ. And while we can describe ourselves as a church, we certainly cannot describe ourselves as the church. Because the church is not limited by any building walls on the planet. You you cannot make a building that is what the church is. The church is the believers of Jesus Christ worldwide. And so when we talk about the persecuted church like we did last week, and we looked at the persecuted church in in North Korea, and we talked about the persecuted church in India and in China and in Saudi Arabia and those places, we we are part of the same body we feel we should feel their pain We the church is the body made up of the people of Christ that's what it is but we move from there to what does the church do because we start going into especially when you go from church to church and you see how different different churches are and even churches that, that might you might agree with a hundred percent doctrinally and in what they say and what they do you walk in and you see things different when we visited a uh, spirit like Baptist Church this summer on vacation uh... everything he didn't say anything I couldn't have said. I didn't. I don't say anything he couldn't say, but he sure did it different. He had this complete scroll thing going across back here with all his different points laid out and outlined and all this stuff. And I looked at. You know what I thought when I looked at that? I thought that's too much work. I ain't doing that. <laughs> he can do that if he wants. I'm not doing that. And uh, and you know, So so we do it the way we do it. Why do we do what we do when we have church? And, and so we're going to look at First Timothy chapter four. First and second Timothy, Titus and Philemon are called the uh, pastoral epistles uh, because they are giving instruction, For a couple of reasons. First of all, they're not written to a church as in the body of believers at Ephesus or something like that. In fact, Timothy was in Ephesus when he received the letter of 1 Timothy. We know that because Paul says, remember when I left you there in Ephesus. (laughs) And so he's in Ephesus, but it's not written to Ephesus. It's written to Timothy. It's written to an individual to give him instruction in how to lead the church. And so we look at what was written in 1 Timothy and we say what was given to Timothy on how to lead the church is probably good advice for us in what to do as a church. And so we look at his instructions in chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Command and teach these things. Probably referring to what he said above, but I'm not sure. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. I don't have that problem anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. So why do we do what we do? Well, there's an awful lot laid out there that we do, and when you hear what he says and see what we do, you say, oh, that's why we do what we do, right? Uh, The first thing he says to Timothy, though, is he says, command and teach these things right? Uh, I shouldn't say the first thing. I mean, we're on chapter 4, but, but he's dealing with other issues and other parts, and, and uh, he says, command and teach these things. In other words, he's saying, set a standard and hold to it. In other words, we don't come in and say, I mean, granted, we, we have freedom in Christ, and we recognize when I, when I stand up here and I say something, you have liberty to agree with me or disagree with me. You have liberty to say, he's right or he's an idiot, right? You, can, you have the ability to do that, but he says, command and teach these things. In other words, doctrine is a standard that we pay attention to. God's word is, 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 is truth that sets a standard that we pay attention to. We don't get to say, you know, this is what the Bible says, but we as a church aren't going to do that, right? Instead, we say, this is what the Bible is, and it is right? and this is where things like church discipline come in because if someone who says I am part of the church but is doing, living a, a completely immoral life, completely contrary to what it says, then that person is dealt with in a disciplined way. This is where standards are set, if someone, if, if, uh, We say this is what the church believes, and someone in the church starts teaching something exactly contrary to that. We respond to that. He says, command and teach these things. Command and insist on these things. Uh, Set a standard and hold to it. Uh, And and I think he's referring to to, uh, what he said back in verses 6 and 7. If we go back there, it says, uh, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. So people in Timothy's day were taking and setting aside doctrine, scripture, in favor of whatever the silly myths were that they were holding on to, which probably had to do something with, it's kind of interesting, they were big into genealogy. tracing their lineage back. Well, my people did this, and I'm special because of this. And wow, what a reflection of the world today. Because I know it's fun to get your genealogy. I, don't, I didn't bother doing my genealogy. You know why? Because my sister did. I don't have to. And it's really boring. It's My genealogy is boring. Everybody's from, from the British Isles, right? There's Scottish, there's English, and there's Irish. <laughs> wow, what an exciting genealogy I have. <laughs> You know, it's like, I, think, I feel like maybe I should be drinking tea with the fingers sticking up or something. <laughs> Speak with a different accent. but Anyway, uh, they were doing that then. That's the kind of thing they were getting into. They were getting distracted by those things, as if those things were valuable. And he says, no, command and teach doctrine, not silly myths, not foolishness. Don't get moved away by whatever people are excited about today. Command and teach God's word. Hold fast to it. Uh, So I think that's what he's saying by that. Verse 12, he says, not only set a standard, but set an example. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Now, that's not merely to Timothy, the young man. That is to to all of us always, to set a standard in faith, in love. I see, I get those in order here. Conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Oh, speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. If if I get up on Sunday and sound very holy and over the course of the week sound very crass and worldly, then I am doing the opposite of what this says. And when I say me, I'm holding myself up as the example because I'm the pastor who's up in front of us. But this is true for every single one of us. This is true for every one of us. We cannot be one person on Sunday and another person on Monday. I had a guy tell me once, we were working cows. This is a long time ago when I worked cows. And he says, I got this church thing figured out. I can do what I want the rest of the week so as long as I'm on church on Sunday. That's pretty close to an exact quote of what he said. It's probably not exactly word for word, but it's really close, right? And, and I looked at him... <laughs> And I, I didn't know what to say, but I know what church he went to. Because <laughs> you don't hear that here. Okay, uh, and, and, and that doesn't make us better than them, but it makes his, I mean, I forget that. His belief was exactly wrong. He says, set them example. Make sure your words match, your, your actions match your words. Make sure your doctrine is right, and make sure you live a godly life before people. Let your speech be good. In other words, not foul, not offensive. And I'm ta- speaking specifically of foul language, but it could impl- involve other things too. Uh, I'm not sure. He says, he says in speech, uh, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. He says all those things. Hold to a standard, set the standard, live up to the standard. Those are the first two things we have there. Set the standard, set an example. Uh, the church is a place where we not only should teach good example, but live good behavior. Uh, and you want to be careful with that. You don't model good behavior because you're part of this church. <laughs> you, know, you model good behavior wherever you are. And what's really interesting to me is, is uh, I think about things like this. I think about things like, what if I was somewhere else? I shouldn't shouldn't even think about these, but forgive me. (laughs) Somewhere else I'm going, what if I just did this thing here? Nobody would know. Nobody knows who I am. But have you ever been somewhere and run into somebody that you totally didn't expect? I remember when I was in in fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grades, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grades, I earned a trip to Disneyland with Spokesman Review. you, you sell them, you get people to subscribe enough papers and they would send you to Disney. I was one of like, they, they, this is a big thing back in Spokane in those days. And, and I remember in Disneyland, waiting in line for those little cars look like Corvettes that you ride over the thing, and I was really excited about it because I was going to get to drive a car, right? And, uh, and, and somebody behind me says, hey, hi Steve. And I turned around, it was two people from my paper route. <laughs> <laughs> And I looked, I mean, they lived around, they were on the same, they lived on my block. It's like, I I can't remember their names right now, but it's like, what are you doing here? It's like, you cannot escape. God will not let you get away with it. Don't ever think you can get somewhere else and get away with it. It's not just here. It's not just because you're part of this church. You are part of the church. God always knows what you're doing. He always knows where you are. And we are doing it not for us, but for him. Uh, We want to hang on to that. Verse 13, we move into what I'm going to call the public practice of the church. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Okay, three very important things: public reading of Scripture, exhortation, and to teaching. Uh, exhortation is what I would call preaching. Teaching is where you say, "This is what God's word says." Preaching is what where you say, "Go out and do it." Right? That's the difference between. Teaching and exhortation. Teaching is teaching the knowledge. Exhortation is saying apply the knowledge. And then the public reading of scripture is what we are teaching, The the basing this knowledge on, what we are basing the exhortation on. It's all right there. Why do we do what we do in church? Because God told us to, right? These are the things. There are lots of other things we do. We pray, right? Well, God, in, earlier in 1 Timothy, in chapter 2, he says, I urge men everywhere to lift up holy hands, praying to make intercession for one another. Uh, he says... Uh, urge their prayer be made for kings as those in authority and for uh, he he goes on with that he tells us to pray Uh, we give Uh, we find in first corinthians where he says when you gather together on the first day or on the first when uh on the first day of the week set aside your offerings to give to and he's got a specific offering he's talking about which is for the needy people in jerusalem and it's kind of like saying you know we're going to send a gift to pastor daniel and we've done this, you know, many times where we send money to Pastor Daniel to build a well or to, to work on his church building or to, you know, the different things that we have sent money to him to do. We say we're going, you know, we do this at Vacation Bible School where we have our mission project and we say we're going to raise money for, you know, whatever it is. We're, what did we raise money for? Last? Oh, a lot of times it's Bibles for the persecuted church. Uh, things like that, and that's part of what a church does. We are looking out. We are taking offerings on behalf of others. We sing Ephesians five eighteen, sing to one another, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Uh, I'm going to read it because it's, I've got more written down than that, and I want to get it all. Ephesians chapter five, uh, verses eighteen and nineteen says, "Do not be drunk with wine, but uh, let's see." And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And and, and why do we do this? Well, because for one thing, it's it's something that's prescribed in Scripture that we should do. For another thing, doesn't it just bless us? (laughs) Once upon a time, you know, I mentioned growing up in in the Catholic Church, once upon a time, church music didn't bless me. And I'm not saying anything about the music of Catholic Church. It's more about me. As a kid, that music did not bless me. You know, I can still do it. And I can still end like this. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't done that for a long time. (laughs) You don't lose these things. Okay. uh, These are all things that the church does, and we should do them when we gather as a church. And when I say why, that's not the why of the what and why series. That's actually still part of the what. It's what we do. And I'm saying we do it because of this here, but when I say why, I want to talk about a heart issue. And I want to turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 10 for that. And it may not sound like much of a heart issue, but I think it reveals a motivation that is pretty important. Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 23 to 25, and this is a passage dealing with those who choose not to go to church anymore. Right? That that it's kind of funny to think that the Bible would talk about that because it was written way back then. Right? People wouldn't have had that issue back then. What year was Hebrews written? The answer is I don't know. Probably somewhere between 60 and 70 A.D. Probably Hebrews was written then, 30 to 40 years after Christ died. Surely people weren't skipping out on church then. Surely then people weren't walking away and saying, nah, I don't know if I care about that thing anymore. Surely that's a modern problem, right? Apparently not. Apparently not. The, and it's kind of interesting because we talk about why church is important and he gives three positives and one negative. All right? Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of hope without wavering. For he who promised is I mean, yeah, uh, uh, he who promised faithful. Sorry, it's 24, I started 23. I want twenty-four and twenty-five. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we've got three positives uh, and one negative. Uh, He says, uh, hold fast to the confession of our hope, stir one another up to love and good works, and encourage one another. Three positive reasons to to go to church. To hold fast the confession of our hope. So much easier to do that when in company with other people who are holding fast the confession of of our hope. To stir one another up to love and good works. Because, you know, it's like... If, if, you don't, if you're not aware of Pastor Daniel having a need in India, you're not going to give a nickel to Pastor Daniel in India. You come to church, you find out there is, and someone says, yeah, you know what, and, and you find out. You know what really is amazing is, is the numbers of, of amounts of money that we send to Pastor Daniel or to some of these other needs. Sometimes I'm going, how many people are in the church? Where did this money come from? And the thing is, 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 is when you hear the numbers, you, it's, for my thinking, it stirs me up. It says, I should be more generous. Uh, And it stirs us up to to love and good works and to encourage one another. You should be encouraged when you come to church and meet your brothers and sisters who sometimes you don't get to see every other week. I mean, any any other time during the week. But only here. And only when when we are here. And we encourage one another. We feel better about our faith and our walk with Christ because we are here. Uh, But right now, I'm going to skip over all those positives. I'm going to dwell on the negative. (laughs) because I'm a preacher. <laughs> okay? The three positives are all accomplished by what we've already seen. Simply by going to church, we are accomplishing the three positives. But the negative is the big one. They cannot be accomplished in the person who chooses not to meet together. And I'm specifically saying not the person who doesn't go to church, but the person who chooses not to go to church. Specifically, again, referring to the person who once did, but now does not right? People stop going to church for a lot of reasons, right? One of the greatest reasons why teens walk away from church, (sighs) boring. Yesterday, we introduced something. We didn't actually act it out. I think Robbie was too nice. If you know Robbie, it's hard to imagine him being too nice. He's a lot like me in character, but... uh, we were, we, were, we were walking into the, the second, after the first session of, of camp, because I was the speaker a speaker out at retreat, after the first session, Robbie and I talked, and I said, how about if we threaten the kids with a back row baptism? <laughs> and I just love, I love the flow, doesn't that sound good, back row baptism? It's just got a ring to it. And so and so Robbie, and, and by the way, Robbie, before the first, I went up to speak the first time, I was getting ready to, go, I was going to go get my water cup that I had set aside, and as before I did, I heard this <laughs> and so he had already practiced by spilling my water, <laughs> and, and so, so, and, and we did get threatened, I, I said, "Hey, Robbie, are you ready for that back row baptism? Because I've got someone over there." And I saw a head go. <laughs> it's so much fun. Anyway, uh, boredom. People can be bored at church, and I know that that's not a problem here. <laughs> You don't have to laugh that much. <laughs> people, and, and especially you know people who, who uh, p- people can boor- grow up. Kids growing up in church. Why do you want to? Why don't you want to go to church? It's so boring, right? And they they just don't feel that it speaks to them. And boredom is a big reason people stop going to church. Ambivalence. What does that mean? I don't care. <laughs> Sorry, I tried to practice that Ambival- I don't care it's not doing anything for me I don't feel fed, I don't feel nourished I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of it I don't care, why should I bother going to church boredom, uh, ambivalence hypocrisy that works both ways <laughs> you know, it's reality there is hypocrisy in the church none of us is as good as we ought to be Few of us are as good as we present ourselves to be. To a certain extent, we are all hypocrites, okay? Uh, Yeah, but believe me, that applies every bit as much to the person who's saying I'm not going because of all the hypocrites, because that person is using the hypocrites as his excuse when he actually doesn't even know them. (laughs) He's just assuming it sometimes, okay? Disagreement with a doctrine or action. Okay, Because we are a church that, while we have rarely done, and very, I think very few people here go back far enough to remember when we actually exercised church discipline here as a church, but we are a church that will do it, and we lost people when we did exercise church discipline. One one couple I know in particular, godly couple, goes to church faithfully somewhere else, said, I don't want to be a part of a church that would do that. And so they went and found a church somewhere else. But, but the reality is we did what I believe we had to do. And by the way, it worked out well. The people we did it, exercised the discipline on, were restored. Uh, it, it did accomplish what it was supposed to accomplish. But but that is an example of why someone might choose not to go to a church. And I would all even call that a legitimate example. If they believed we did it wrong, if they believed we did it badly, uh, if they believe we have a bad doctrine, something we believe that they simply disagree with. We are a church that teaches you cannot lose your salvation. If you believe strongly that you can, you may choose to go to a church that agrees with you better. okay? that, that, would, that, would, that would that would at least be legitimate. A dislike of the pastor or someone else. I, I, I've said this before, so, 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 so you may not be too shocked when I say it, I know people who don't go to Trinity because they don't like me. <laughs> And you're going, no. <laughs> or you're going, oh, Steve. <laughs> Why don't you do something about it? <laughs> yeah, you can't win them all. Some, you know, for some people, I'm too blunt. For some people, I'm too loud. For some people, I'm too goofy. For some people, I'm too serious. Right? You, you, and and it's, it's just reality. I, I understand that. understand that. that. Stop that. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that nobody likes everybody. And the Bible doesn't say we have to like anybody. I love that about the Bible. (laughs) We have to love everybody. We don't have to like anybody. There are people who may not come to this church because they don't like you. And and I'm not pointing a finger at anyone. (laughs) Okay. But I have had people say, and you you may have heard it too. Well, I go to that church, but I heard so-and-so goes there. So I won't go to that church. Now, I have heard that said about people at Trinity Bible Fellowship. I would go to that church, but I know, you know, person X goes there, so I don't want to go to church where that person goes, okay? I've heard that. That kind of thing happens, okay? Uh, that may be uh, an excuse to not go to a church, but it's, it, 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 may not be, it may be an excuse not to go to a specific church. But it's not a good reason to turn your back on church at all. But people turn their back on, on church for all those things. Another really classic one is, well, my experience is out in the wilderness. Hunters, you all understand that. And, and, and I'm never closer to God than when I'm out in the wilderness. Okay? And, and I understand that. God made something in men that like that. And, and you can honestly feel closer to God. But that's what you can't do out there, is stir someone else up to love and good works. Right? There is no one, uh, well, okay, maybe with four guys, there's a one another out there. But the whole one, with the guys who say that, they're not going out with four guys. They're talking about being out in the woods by themselves, which is fine, but it's not church. And it does not replace church. And if you think it does, then you are self-deceived. And I know, I, like I said, I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are all here. Okay, But, but it's something to, important to recognize because, do you know, I, and I, I never, I never try, sat down and tried to put a note on it. But do you know how many people in Davenport used to go to Trinity Bible Fellowship (laughs) and don't go to church at all anymore? And and I don't know the number. Like I said, I haven't sat down and tried to count, but but it's a common thing when you've been around in one town as long as I have to see people who used to go to Trinity Bible Fellowship. And and some of them are going to church in Spokane, which is like, "Mm, take the knife out. But but, uh, others, it's just simply not going at all. And you ask him, why? Well, I just, I don't get around to it. I'm busy. I'm doing this. I'm, you never get a straight answer like, well, it's you. <laughs> don't like you. But, but uh, you could be the next one. You could be the next one who says, you know what, Steve? There, you're, you're, you know all those things you said about what's wrong with you? I agree with every one of them. <laughs> I'm not going back to that church. You know, If you don't come back to this church, don't stop going to church. Don't stop going to church. The Bible says, do not neglect the gathering of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. But encourage one one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Right? And that's the King James. That's how I learned it for Juana. So it's in my brain, but, but that's what it says. Sometimes, and this is a big one, people feel offended and hurt by the church. Right? Sometimes people just say, well, you know, I've been hurt in the church. And sometimes people have been hurt in the church. Right, uh, you run into a lot of people. You run into a lot of people that don't go to church anymore because they've been hurt by the church. Well, here's the thing: if if they are hurt by a proper moral stand or teaching, then so be it. We can't do anything about that because we must follow God's word. We must follow God's truth. And it, it, it's, it's it's like this: wherever Jesus went, he brought division. You, it's something, if I, if, you, if I say that and you start looking in the New Testament through the Gospels, you find the people were divided over Jesus. So, properly done, people should be divided over us if we are properly representing Jesus. But they're divided into two clear sides those that are pro Jesus and those who are anti Jesus. Right? And if we're not offending anybody, then we're presenting such an unclear picture that nobody really knows. Okay, that's that's not good either. So if somebody is offended by Christ, by morals, by truth, then so be it. We can't do anything about that. But if they are offended by us, then we've got a problem. If they are offended because we are offensive in what we do or how we do it outside of obeying scripture, then we have done something wrong. And we need to be careful of that because when you hear someone say they've been hurt by the church, sometimes it's because they needed to be hurt by the church. They needed to get a message and be woken up. But sometimes it's because the church behaved badly. And churches make mistakes. Usually with good intentions but not always. Right, Uh, And so we want to be careful of that. But regardless of the reason someone has for neglecting the church, all that whole list of, of answers are, are p- possibilities I went through, not one of them answers the statement. Do not neglect the gathering of yourselves together. That is a. I, I, I don't like the word command, so let's call it a direction. Let's call it. If you want to simply call it Jesus's Jesus's opinion. Jesus says, "Here's my opinion." How many are going to say, "Oh yeah?" Well, here's mine. <laughs> 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 jesus is, Clear teaching. The clear teaching of the scripture is that we are not to neglect gathering together. We are to gather together. If you do not go to church, you will not accomplish the three positives. right? The three positives, hold fast the confession of your hope, stir up one another to love and good works, encourage one another. You will not accomplish that, and, and you will um, be forsaking the gathering of yourselves together. Uh, The one another, you know, stir up one another to love and good works. One another is a common term we find in scripture, again, for the people of the church. They gathered together with one another. They ate with one another. They prayed with one another. And we find one another as a a common thing. You cannot do one another alone. Can't be done, right? It's a reciprocal thing. It works both ways. You could call it symbiotic if you want to be scientific about it. Uh, I help you and you, I help you do these things, you help me do those things. For those of you who have never seen this place transform from a church to a potluck, <laughs> it's a very reciprocal thing. Some people are moving pews aside, some people are bringing chairs out, some people are fixing food and getting it ready to present, and it's, it's kind of a, I I don't know if I want to call it a cool organization or a horrible chaos. <laughs> It's kind of both at the same time. And uh, the poor people who are trying to talk get run over. (laughs) But you cannot do them alone. You cannot do them in the wilderness. And you cannot do them unless you are with one another. Whatever your gift, whatever your calling, right? We were in 1 Corinthians 12. That's a, a list of spiritual gifts. And they are given to build up one another. You cannot exercise spiritual gifts alone. Right? I will say, I'll be bold enough to say my gift is preaching and teaching. Well, I sit down and I, I spend a lot of time in preparation. So you could say, well, you're exercising your spiritual gift there in preparation. Okay, but it's of no value there until it comes out here. right? Uh, and so you cannot exercise your spiritual gift alone. It, they do not work that way. Whatever your gift, whatever your calling, whatever contribution God designed you to be. Ephesians 2.10, for you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he... Uh, created before the foundation of the world that you should walk in them. He made you to accomplish specific things. He designed you for that. He made you with a purpose, the way you are, how you are, who you are, with the abilities you have. You cannot do those alone because they are designed for one another. They're not designed for me to take care of myself. That's not how they work. The church, ready for this, the church is better because you are here. This church, right now, is better because you are here. And that's true for every one of us. And you are better because you are here. Because the church is being the church. We are building up and blessing one another. The church is better when the church is being the church. And by the way, we're better for them out there, too. I should just point the arm that way. There's not the tracks are over that way. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying. They're better because of that, too. Okay, so we're all here today, and this is one of those sermons where you might ask, you know, Steve, I'm here. All those things apply whether you said all this or not. Okay, yeah, you're, you're right. Uh, it, it, it would be a much better message for the people out there, wherever they are. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. You know, we all come in here with different ideas. We all come in here with different expectations. Uh, some of you came in here, remember the three le- levels of organization that I talked about before. the part, you know, why we do things? Some of you came in here today because you say, well, it's Sunday, get up, go to church because that's what I do. That's what Dad did. It's what I do. I do it because I'm supposed to. Some of you, some of you came in here maybe wondering, you know, on the fence, I don't want to go to church today, but... Seahawks aren't playing till tomorrow. Guess I will. (laughs) Nothing better to do. (laughs) And some of you came out of a full conviction, intending to be a blessing, intending to receive blessings. Uh, I want all of us to be in that third group. I want all of us to be there. I want all of us to to be coming to church and finding that to go through the whole process and conclude we need to be a church. When I say I want, it's Hebrews ten twenty-six, Forsake not the assembly, or 25. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Wherever you are in that spectrum, or if I'm simply preaching to the choir, church is where you belong. Church is where you belong. God intends this church to be a blessing to you, and God intends you to be a blessing to the church. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for the blessing of being the church. Lord, I praise you for the the tremendous privilege of being a part of this massive body of Christ. And I praise you for the blessings that we see through each other. I ask that we be this blessing, that we give this blessing, that we receive this blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.